0: This is Louisiana Considered. I'm Carl Lengel, and on today's show, a chat with our reporter Carly Berlin about plans to restore Claiborne Avenue. And we're going to reflect just a little bit on the winter solstice. Up first, food pantries in the Gulf South still have long lines, well, more than two years after the pandemic led to a surge in demand. And the same problems causing that need, like inflation and the end of pandemic relief programs, are also hurting the food pantries, too. Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports on what the last year has been like for food pantries and
1: the people who rely on them. One pandemic trend that's stuck around is drive through food pantries. They were brought in for the social distancing and stayed for the speed. At the St. Luke Food Pantry in Tupelo, Mississippi, a constant loop of grocery carts brings food from inside the pantry to waiting lines of cars that stretch onto the highway. It's more efficient than a walk-through pantry where you could pick your own food, but it might just mean getting stuck with something you don't know how to cook. No, I won't be cooking that butternut squash. A <laughs> hey, butternut squash to me is for strictly decoration. Why Vanya Meadows still makes it clear she's grateful for everything she gets from the pantry. She's been coming here for about eight years now, but she says this year has been a lot rougher than the last one. Oh, of course. It is way harder. Lots of other drivers here agree and all blame this year's record high inflation.
0: Prices are beginning to come down a little bit. Gas is beginning to come down
1: a little bit. But you never know how long it's going to stay that way because the economy is just flip-flop, flip-flop. The continual up and down of the economy and uncertainty of it all goes back to the start of the pandemic. Michael Ledger is the president of Feeding the Gulf Coast, which stocks food banks in Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida.
2: I found myself over those two years using the word unprecedented, an unprecedented number of times. And so I don't think I can say unprecedented any longer. That might sound like a good thing,
1: but it's only because those long lines are now the new normal, Ledger says. And a lot of the federal aid meant to get people through those unprecedented times is now gone, like the coronavirus food assistance program.
2: It put millions of pounds of extra food in our hands that we then, of course, turned around and distributed. That's no longer. Uh, And again, leaving that gap to be filled,
1: feeding the Gulf Coast spent about $3 million this year on food, something like four and a half times as much as the group spent before the pandemic. Now, there's long been a gap between what food pantries have and the help many people need, which leads to a lot of competition between pantries to get their hands on what's available. Naya Pulliam is the food pantry coordinator for the Broadmoor Improvement Association in New Orleans. She says ordering food for her pantry is like trying to buy Taylor Swift tickets.
2: 11.59, I already am tapping my finger on the computer like, okay, 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 I have to be ready. So right as 12 hits, I have to refresh the page, click on the date and the time, submit cart. It could be 12 o'clock and 30 seconds later, half of my cart could be gone because the options are taken away.
1: The hardest thing to keep from
2: disappearing from her virtual cart is
1: usually meat.
2: All out the South is there been a lack of meat at food pantries and a lack of healthy meat. So we do get hot dogs, but hot dogs are not super healthy.
1: But they are getting a lot of fresh veggies, which is an improvement.
2: Last year, I think there was barely any canned vegetables, canned fruit. But like yesterday, we got, I don't even know, 30 or 40 boxes of pomegranates. We got shrimp. I will say this year compared to last year has been bountiful.
1: Ledger with feeding the Gulf Coast says this year they've been offering more produce to pantries. After all, it's a lot cheaper, so it helps with those rising costs.
2: Thankfully, it's also incredibly healthy. <laughs> but but we have to make sure that folks know what to do with the food, including something like butternut squash, which some people consider a delicacy. But but of course, if you don't if you're not used to preparing it, it's a it's a different kind of thing for sure. The best way to do it is um, in the oven. Um, Cook it with uh, some butter. you can sprinkle it Shannon Sodden started coming
1: to the St. Luke Food Pantry for the first time this year. Like just about everyone in line she's grateful, but one thing that hasn't changed this year is the stigma that comes from going to a food pantry.
3: I've seen other people say something to the effect of coming to a place like this and I, I, it's on their face. It's like their view of that person completely changes. And then now I'm here, you know, so they would look at me the same way. I've, I worked for many, many years,
2: and sometimes things happen, and I think people need to
3: understand that people that come to places like this and need help.
1: The St. Luke Food Pantry was only open for three weeks last month due to Thanksgiving and still served more than 2,100 households. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Bassaha. <laughs>
0: The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration between public radio stations in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. You're listening to Louisiana Considered on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Carl Lengel. As major American cities grapple with restoring communities, the once appreciated interstate system is coming under scrutiny. New Orleans' Claiborne Avenue, once in Oakline Boulevard, and the central business corridor of the Treme neighborhood was a historic black and creole neighborhood with roots beginning in the 18th century. It was subsumed by the cities and the nation's 1950s plan to modernize the American highway system. As President of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower had championed a national grid of high-speed arteries to move the country around. Two experiences drove Ike's determination. He'd been part of a 1919 military New York to San Francisco convoy that had taken two months and his observation of Germany's Autobahn in World War II. In 1956, Congress passed the Federal Aid Highway Act. In the decade following I-10's path down Claiborne, registered businesses along the avenue decreased by 50%. The Tremaine neighborhood, once a center of jazz and African-American culture, began a steady decline. Cement parking lots replaced the public green space underneath the expressway. It destroyed what some remember as the black Wall Street of New Orleans. It's been called a textbook example of America's racist highway history now there's a new federal program to address that past and a few ideas for how to best use the money reporter carly berlin has the story
3: the charbonnet funeral home is elegant the chapel has tall ceilings families meet in rooms with ornate furniture and shiny wood mantles to discuss plans for their lost loved ones Louis Charbonnet's family has had this place on Claiborne Avenue for well over a hundred years.
0: We, we, we like to plot ourselves as being, well, I guess one of the biggest black funeral homes in the city, and uh, the prettiest.
3: But right outside, there's something not so pretty. A major highway towering over the road. But this is what,
0: this is what I gotta look at every day. When I come out here with funerals,
3: But it wasn't always like this. Charbonnet is 83, and he remembers what Claiborne was like before this section of I-10 was built in the 1960s.
0: Grocery stores, hardware stores, restaurants, everything was right here in this this maybe 6 or 8 block area. And it was completely
3: destroyed. His family managed to hang on, but many others couldn't. Interstates all over America cut through Black neighborhoods like this one. They were built at a time when Black residents often had little say over political decisions. Homes were destroyed. Businesses were gutted. But now, for the first time, the federal government wants to help.
0: If federal dollars were ever used in a way that separates or segregates, then a pretty good use of federal dollars now would be to connect and to address those harms.
3: That's U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg promoting the new Reconnecting Communities program before Congress this past summer. It's part of the Biden administration's infrastructure law. And Louisiana, along with the city of New Orleans, has put together a nearly $95 million proposal for Claiborne.
1: When I travel through it, I look at it and say I'm not satisfied with its current condition.
3: Sean Wilson is the secretary for Louisiana's Department of Transportation and Development.
1: I'm not satisfied with the condition of the parking or the way water stands or the lack of lighting.
3: He says the plan is to spruce this place up, fix the lights, fix the drainage, even put in a public market where people can gather and listen to music under the highway and maybe remove some of the I-10 ramps that slice through the Treme. Wilson sees that as a sort of experiment. When you take a ramp down, what happens? Does it open up new green space? Are there fewer cars rushing into the neighborhood?
1: And does that offer value to quality of life, to safety, to the climate, to the air quality?
3: What's not on the table, at least not yet, is removing the highway completely. But some Treme residents, like Amy Stelly, say that's the only way to really do justice to the neighborhood. So nasty. Yeah, I can't say I've ever just walked through this way under here. You said what? She gives me a quick tour underneath the highway, or what some people call the monster. It's not a pleasant experience. <laughs> Stelly is an architectural and urban designer. She lives just a block and a half from here. And for years, she's called for the highway to come down. As long as it's here, she says, the neighborhood is still stuck with the dirt and the noise and the pollution from all the cars. She has this to say about the local government's plan.
0: So we're gonna budget 95 million to fix a decrepit piece of infrastructure and decorate under it. I don't see the wisdom in spending the money that
3: way. Instead, her nonprofit, called the Claiborne Avenue Alliance Design Studio, submitted a separate proposal to the Reconnecting Communities program. Their idea is to do a feasibility study to redevelop Claiborne. That means do a big traffic analysis, host community meetings, look at needs for affordable housing. And through that process, the group is confident that removing the highway will win out. For Steli, the point is getting people to imagine what life without the highway could be like.
2: Most people who live here can only see the highway. We want to give you that new vision of Claiborne that harks back to its former glory. We can do that.
3: Back at the funeral home, Louis Charbonnet has never forgotten how beautiful Claiborne once was.
0: It had- Stands of oak trees down each side, China's azalea bushes, streetcar running down the street. So all these elements were here, and when the interstate came along, it just
3: destroyed all of that. He knows there's no going back to that time, but he holds out hope that someday Claiborne will thrive again. And to this funeral home director, that means the death of the highway. In New Orleans, I'm Carly Berlin.
0: Carly joins us now. Thanks so much for your reporting on this issue. It seems like there's some disagreement or at least a little bit of discussion about the best way to utilize the Reconnecting Communities program here in New Orleans. From your reporting on this, what you're seeing, what's the big point of contention?
3: Yeah, so one of the main factors I'm hearing about is the age of the highway itself. You know, all across the country, when these interstates were built in the 60s, they were designed to last 50 years. And in New Orleans, the Claiborne Expressway is already past that. Amy Stelly and the folks from the Alliance, they basically say that it's past its useful life. And rather than drive federal money into fixing up the expressway, investing in this public market idea underneath it, you know, let's step back. Let's consider options like potentially tearing it down. I brought that question about the age of the highway to Sean Wilson from the State Department of Transportation and Development and he said he couldn't give me a clear timeline for when the highway, you know, won't be suitable for people to use as it is now. And that's partly because every time maintenance is done to it, you know, as the city and state hope to do with the reconnecting communities funding, its life extends longer. Um, You know, the other difference in thinking is basically, you know, do we fund something relatively short term or do we hold off and do longer range planning for the future of Claiborne? You know, officials at the city and state level told me that they basically want to fund something that's quote unquote actionable right now. And they want to do that with, you know, relatively limited funding available. When the White House was first envisioning this program, the Reconnecting Communities program, it was originally $20 billion for these projects across the country. And now it's $1 billion for, you know, interstate uh, projects in cities around the country.
0: That's a big difference. So what happens next? When does a decision get made on the two proposals?
3: So both camps here, the local government folks and Amy from the Alliance, they've told me that they expect to get word back from the Federal Department of Transportation early in 2023, which is coming right up. Um, And it's, you know, not necessarily certain that New Orleans will see any funding from this program because these interstates through black and brown neighborhoods are so ubiquitous across the country. You know, it means that New Orleans is competing against lots of other places for a cut of this funding during its first year. And I should say also that not everyone sees these two different proposals for Claiborne as necessarily at odds with each other. Troy Carter, the U.S. representative for much of New Orleans, submitted letters in support of both of them. He sits on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. And a city official told me, you know, he could imagine the U.S. Department of Transportation deciding to fund both and sort of doing this, you know, short term fixing up the highway public market thing now, and also doing that long-term planning uh, that the Alliance is is seeking to do.
0: So you've obviously spent a whole lot of time researching and reporting on this issue. Great work. What's the biggest takeaway for you as cities like New Orleans begin to address some of these policies, like the federal highway program in the 1950s that devastated black communities?
3: Yeah, I mean, one thing Sean Wilson from the state told me that didn't end up making it into this story, but that stuck with me since chatting with him, is that, you know, the federal government foot the bill and the entire bill when these interstates were first built. And now states have to match a lot of the money and programs like reconnecting communities to make any kind of big change. And, you know, the fact that there is so much renewed attention on this issue now and the fact that the federal government is basically saying, you know, we want to put money toward addressing these harms, that's really significant. The question is now, you know, is there enough money to really do transformative things here? Like we said, the programs is just a fraction of the size that the White House had initially envisioned for it before negotiations on the infrastructure bill started. And the other thing is, you know, is there consensus and political will in these communities for for what people want to see? You know, there's not necessarily a consensus in New Orleans in the Treme or in the Seventh Ward about tearing down the Claiborne Expressway right now. But there are certainly a lot of people who remember Claiborne before the highway was there and who want to see it gone.
0: Carly, thanks so much for your time on this.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: For more in-depth reporting on this story, you can go to the station's website. You're listening to Louisiana Considered on WWNO and WRKF. We have some serious weather coming our way very soon. And uh, recently we talked with NOSEP director Colin Arnold about some precautions you can take here in southeastern Louisiana.
4: You know, pipes become an issue. Obviously, people's an issue. Pets are an issue. And, and, and you know, we're doing some things to protect our people and our pets uh, that maybe don't have the opportunities that, that others in the city may have. For, for all those that have the capability of staying inside and just enjoying the holidays with friends and family you're going to have I really encourage everyone to take that opportunity to do that i would limit travel that that would just be my personal recommendation there's not a lot of moisture or precipitation associated with this weather and in fact some of the winds that are going to be really strong on on friday are going to blow a lot of that moisture out however we have a lot of elevated roadways and bridges in this city. And and those freeze, obviously, we see the signs, those freeze before, before other areas do. And there will be issues, I believe, with, uh, with the roadways. So if you are going to travel, I travel during the day, if possible, when those temperatures are either hovering at freezing or above freezing for the short periods of time that there will be. And I would really limit that travel at night just for a lot of different reasons, so mainly the cold. But also, you know, the, always the potential for for road conditions.
0: You made a point about wind chill, and I think that's that's kind of an unusual circumstance that we hear occasionally in most northern forecasts, and we kind of go, "Oh yeah," but this is a little bit different. than... the it, it feels like temperature gets into single digits in some areas in our state here. So,
4: yeah, I'd say the wind chill is that issue where it, you know, particularly on Friday, uh, there's going to be wind, uh, you know. 20 to 30 sustained particularly in areas like near the lake uh, where you're potentially going to have gusts up to 40 miles an hour and and that's going to drastically lower what the, the feels like temperature is or the wind chill factor and so while the temperature will be below freezing which presents you know some of the issues i just talked about the wind chills actually will be down around 12 to 15 degrees on the south shore and as you mentioned even on the north shore Potentially down to below ten, even nine degrees, single digits, and and so that's what it's going to feel like in uh, on your body, in your you know on your skin. Uh, you know, there's concerns for obviously frostbite, hypothermia. These things are are especially concerning for our our homeless or unhoused population in the city. So we have activated the city's freeze plan, which we do when we have temperatures like this. It allows our traditional. Uh, providers of service to this community, uh, like the and Inn, the uh, the New Orleans Mission, Covenant House, Salvation Army, uh, the, and the like, to kind of expand their their capacities to house folks. It allows folks to stay during the day. Typically, they make you leave during the day. Um, you know, and, and that's a really good asset and opportunity. There'll be a lot of outreach going on uh, with our partners with the Office of Community Development, the New Orleans Health Department and Unity of Greater New Orleans. Uh, among others uh, to go out and actually try and, and, and encourage folks uh, that don't have housing to get into housing. Additionally, what the city will be offering is three recreation centers, uh, two on the East Bank and one on the West Bank uh, as as warming centers. And these will be open 24 hours a day starting Thursday at, uh, at 6 p.m. Okay, and they'll be open until Monday, uh, And and really, this is to kind of cover the holiday weekend. Typically, we can uh, get by with these colder temperatures with a rec center or a library, but we have a lot of altered hours because of the holidays.
0: Well, it does seem appropriate that as we roll out of the winter solstice, we have a major storm coming our way. The solstice may have been a special moment of the annual cycle for some cultures, even during Neolithic times. Astronomical events were often used to guide activities such as the mating of animals, the sowing of crops, and the monitoring of winter reserves for food. It's believed that many cultural mythologies and traditions are derived from this. That's Louisiana Considered for the day. I'm Carl Lengel. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest Colin Arnold and to reporters Carly Berlin and Stephen Basaha. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. Our digital editor is Caitlin dumpholtz Engineers are Garrett Pittman, Aubrey Procell, and Thomas Walsh. Louisiana Considered airs Monday through Friday at noon and 7:30. It's on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience with additional support from Southern Strategy Group. We'll leave you with Ingrid Lucia present. looking for a visit from a special
3: guest. That is just what I've been waiting for Would you mind slipping it under the door? Cold winds are howling Could it be growling? My legs feel like straw my, my, oh me, my Kinda, will you reply? Is that
2: you? Zet you, Zet you, Santa Claus! Hey, Santa.
3: I could use something spicy tonight. Some saddle would be alright. I'll give you something sweet, some cookies and milk. And I'll be where I stand